Welcome to the Dog Nerd Show, where we geek out over our best friends. I'm Megan. And I'm Michael, and this is a show about all things dog. Hey, everybody. We have got another exciting episode for you today. Today is a very important episode because we are going to talk with the Pet Safety Crusader, also known as Denise Fleck, about some pet safety tips. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, we we met her at first to go over the Akita, and uh, and then we we said, "Hey, we got to get this." And and she's an incredible person, you know, with her work with senior dogs. Yep. Um, what's her website there? The the senior dog website. That they- so yeah. So in addition to the pet safety, which is like it's been her thing for twenty plus years. She's written books. She has classes. She does CE classes. Um, you can find her there at petsafetycrusader.com. dot com, right. and uh, she also is on the board, the president of the Gray Muzzle Foundation, graymuzzle.org. dot org. So they. They help senior dogs, and she's just a, an amazing woman. You'll re, you'll remember her with from you know the the Akita episode, but just tons of great information. I think I could have talked to her for like a good solid hour. I agree, and that's kind of where I was going with the uh, you know with the senior dog. So when you have a senior dog, pet safety is really kind of paramount. There's there's a lot that goes on just as, as we get older, there's, you know, we go to the doctor more frequently and, and things of that nature. We don't, we had the aches and pains that we didn't have when we were in our twenties. So, however, but, <laughs> however, if from, from, a, from age birth to, to, you know, they get called home dogs are, uh, ten, I think she said they're nine out of 10 dogs have an emergency at one point. I think so. Yeah. So yeah. that's very, I think this is a very important interview. It is. And, you know, for our, in our situation, it was when they were younger (laughs) where they got into trouble having terriers. Let's knock on wood that they don't get into any more trouble. But, um, yeah, you know, it can be a a small issue or a big emergency. So Denise covers some great topics and uh, let's dive into it and learn a few things. All right, we are here with Denise and Kiko, and we're going to talk a little bit about pet safety, which is super important and something that I think we all don't think about until we have a moment where we need it. So tell us a little bit about what you do in terms of your business with teaching people about pet safety, and then we'll talk about a few things that you know, we can all learn from. Happy to. Well, let me just start off by saying that nine out of 10 dogs are likely to experience an emergency at some point in their lifetime. So knowing what to do when that happens is pretty much a reality that it's going to, and we need to, you know, be ready to respond. Um, Hopefully it's going to be a non-reactive bee sting or a little upset tummy, but sometimes it can be a choking incident, severe bleeding, or an animal actually going unconscious and needing rescue breathing and CPR. So for, I must say, a little over 20 years now, I have been teaching over 25,000 people what to do to rescue Rover or help Fluffy feel better when something goes wrong. And Pet First Aid is by no means a replacement for veterinary care. But what we do at the time that incident or illness rears its ugly head can really make a difference. Um, Our goal is to prevent further injury, hopefully to alleviate some pain, but we still very much 
much might get you know to the vet clinic, vet clinic very quickly. Um, it's not a, a substitution for that, but it really can make a difference and it empowers us to take better care of our pets. Additionally, I do try to open people's eyes, yes, Ms. Kiko, to things that you can prevent you know, in the first place. But life's going to happen. I can't put her in a plastic bubble. Yeah. So I want to be prepared when it does. Absolutely. And anyone who has a pet knows that emergencies usually happen when the vet's offices are closed. <laughs> well, that's when most of our emergencies have happened. We've had two really big ones, um, both with Finley. And one we've actually done a video on, and we'll link mm -hmm. to that. But it was getting into a package of chewing gum with xylitol in it. And it was half a pack of chewing gum that he ate. And if you don't know, that's very, very deadly. <laughs> it is, I mean, it's intended for us humans to get more slowly into our bloodstream, but it can actually plummet their glucose levels and send them into a coma or cause liver problems. Yeah, and in fact, the, the emergency vet visit that we went to, we were told one stick could have killed our, you know, 15 pound dog and so it's that was one instance um, and of course thankfully we googled it we found out it was really bad and we took the dogs to the vet to make sure that you know they were okay and, and by the grace of God they were oh, was on a grateful. hotline with God on that one <laughs> yeah. and then um, the other one was when Finley choked on a rawhide oh goodness and it you know he was definitely and we don't feed rawhides any longer because they're so bad and they have the choking hazard. Gosh knows dogs love them, but you know. They do, <laughs> they do. And he would even like when he was younger, you know, he was younger when we gave him to him, he would sometimes, if you went to take it from him, he would put it further in his mouth. Yeah. And then you're like, ah, you know, and I got very neurotic about that because yeah. I worry about these guys so much anyway. Well, of course, um, they're our kids. They are, and in our case, they definitely are. So we did not know what we were doing, did not know what kind of Heimlich sort of maneuver mm -hmm. we could do. And I was just trying to find Scoop out it. of his mouth. Yeah. yeah. But I think it had gotten lodged horizontally across oh, his throat because I thought I was, you know, when they get wet. Oh, they're so slippery. <laughs> I want to say slimy. Yes. Nasty. They and are. Even if you could reach it, it's hard to grab hold. Yeah. I didn't know if I was touching his his mouth you know skin or if it was the rawhide it ended up he relaxed it slid down his throat he was breathing we were all good but you know we had to watch for an obstruction thankfully there was none right. but what what's the best way when you're panicked and freaking out in that scenario as we both were what's the best way to help your dog well, of course, easier said than done, but try not to panic. <laughs> Take that deep breath, um, hug a tree, count to 10. When we panic, we actually have what's called an acute adrenaline syndrome. And we an adrenaline dumps into our bodies and it kind of renders our brains useless and sometimes even our motor skills. So um, anything we can do to stay calm helps the pet because it accentuates their emotion as well. But first, when they're choking, always give them a moment to cough on their own. Okay. They probably don't understand gravity, but they generally lean over, put their head lower than their stomachs, and they're trying with a cough to propel it out. Okay. When you're lucky, 
they actually do. And then you have to be ready to retrieve that or distract them before they take it again. Yeah. But if they're having difficulties, you can take a look inside their mouth if you can do so safely. Some pets, when they're in distress, it's better not to do that, to go on to what I'm going to call the abdominal thrust okay. or the, the doggy Heimlich maneuver. And I will say, we did get, you can see I've got scars ah. from the puncture wounds where He's just, you know, he's gagging. Well, he didn't yeah, mean to. it's frightening. And yeah. that's why I say only if you can do so safely, because yeah. it doesn't help your pet if you get injured in the process. The Heimlich or the abdominal thrust is actually quite effective for most breeds, even big and small. And next time you're looking at your pet's chest, notice there's a triangle here where the ribs are attached. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the triangle, there's a soft part of the belly. Mm -hmm. um, that's basically where you're going to place your fist, or if it's a smaller pet, you you might just put two fingers on top of each other okay. but otherwise you would put your fist let me just hold onto her here and cover with your other hand okay. the key however though is she needs to be in her four on the floor or even slightly turned down position okay. I need to literally come in here and in her case yes Missy I'm just gonna straddle you for a moment I'd put my fist in here cover and the big thing is to lean into the dog if it's a big dog. Okay. You don't want to leave any space here because you want to pull against your body. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Honestly, you know, I'm not going to do it yeah. on her. If it's a smaller dog, you can still have them up against your chest, but you need to tabletop yourself and do the same thing because if the pet is upright, you're actually giving a gravity assist for the object to slide farther down. Okay, so the, the little dogs also need to have four on the floor or table or whatever. Yeah, or you know, or if you just pick them up and put your fingers there okay, and then and turn them over and pull up against yourself. Okay, gotcha. And we typically do that in a series of five. If it doesn't work, we try five again. Okay. What you're doing in the Heimlich is you're pressing on the diaphragm to create a force to propel the object out. Okay. It really works rather effectively. But if it doesn't, there's a, a plan B. We okay. always want a plan B, and it's what we call chest thrusts. And on a big dog, you'd put the heel of your hand on both sides of the chest like this, mm -hmm. and with your elbows, squeeze in five times. Okay. With a smaller pet, just the flats of two or three fingers. What we're doing differently in this one, instead of pushing up on the diaphragm, mm -hmm. we're actually squeezing the lung, the air out of the lungs. And people are sometimes, you know, they, they're nervous about doing that because in order to do so, you have to press on the rib cage. Mm -hmm. Dogs do have more flexible ribs than we do. And I'm not teaching you to do something with momentum, Megan, you right. know, like that. You're gonna actually start with your hands here. Okay. One, two, three, four, five. Um, the most important thing is getting that airway back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's imperative. Should the pet go unconscious, you might need to do rescue breathing. So it would be really important to know that step as well. And by doing rescue breathing, it is possible you could get air into the pet's lungs, even if it is a large obstruction back here. Mm -hmm. In simplest terms, the, the food tube, the esophagus and the airway are next to each other. And say she swallowed a tennis ball that would go down her esophagus and enlarge it because you know there's this great big tennis ball mm -hmm. so that would now be pushing the airway closed. Mm. Kiko would not have the ability possibly to inhale and breathe yeah. but when I forcefully blow I could very often keep that airway open and keep her alive until I get her to veterinary care. Okay.
Gosh, this is another reason I feel like there needs to be a uh, like a, a veterinary ambulance service. You know, I'm sure some places have them, but my some goodness. Some do, but it's very limited. Yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, as pet parents, I just really try to empower people to get these skills because when you have a dog, you have a furry toddler for life. Yeah. You know, they're not going to grow up and get smarter and stay out of trouble. Yeah. They're going to probably get into even more trouble. So, you know, whatever you can do to feel like you're confident because you can read a book, but if you're not going to confident enough to yes. use that information, you're not going to use it when you need it. So yeah. you need to practice skills on stuffed animals before you need to do it on the real one. Well, and as you were explaining this, I was thinking to myself, you know, get to know your dog too. feel their body, feel where that little triangle is, feel where the ribs are so that you know when you get into a scenario like that, you know, okay, this is where I'm going to actually press. If I can give one tip that I think is more important than almost anything, other than like knowing where your emergency center is, is to weekly or at least every couple of weeks do a head to tail or what I call a woof to wag checkup of your pet because it gets them used to the human touch. Um, it, you're looking in their mouth, you can find problems early on and hopefully get them addressed before they become a nightmare. But just by getting them used to you touching them, it'll make life so much more simple if you do need to reach in and get something, if you do need to examine the teeth, if you need to bandage a paw. So it really serves several purposes. It allows you to um, find a problem early on and get it fixed before it becomes a nightmare, but it makes your dog a better patient at the vet, at the groomer, and even with you. Yeah, that is so true, especially with puppies and you know, touching their paws a lot, you know, getting them desensitized to that because you know, you don't want to be wrestling a, you know, huge dog to try to clip their nails or something oh, like that. Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> so all of that work that we put in on the front side really pays off. It does. Um, anything else pet safety wise that you would like to share with us um, and our, our Audience. Well, sure. Just, you know, really getting to know your pet, knowing their habits, how much they drink in a normal day, how often they need to go to the bathroom to eliminate. Because the more you know what's normal for your pet, the more quickly you can determine when something isn't quite right. And to that avail, you should know how to check your pet's vitals. We probably all know how to take our pulse and our respiration and the whole bit, but on our dogs, the best place to actually check their pulse is the femoral artery think the groin. So she's not, Kiko, will you stand up for a moment? My hands are super cold right now. <laughs> but you put your fingers at the knee while well, she's gonna sit down. She's embarrassed. <laughs> will you stand please? Thank you. Um, you put your fingers at the knee and just roll them to the inner fleshy part of the thigh. Okay. Um, you have to, you know, make sure you've got a finger that you can feel your own pulse on so that you know, but that's where you typically take it on a dog or even a kitty cat. For their respiration, we're just going to watch the rise and fall of the chest. If you were to take your te dog's temperature, and a lot of people don't want to do that, yeah. but if they're 98.6 like us, they're in a whole heap of a lot of trouble. Okay. A dog on average should be 101 degrees Fahrenheit, okay. but a range of about 100.4 to 102.5. Okay. So, you know, those are some things you should know. And uh, basically a good way to test hydration is what we call the Tuger test, where you grab some skin here at the nape of the neck, but with all of her fur, you can't even see it. Yeah. And if you have a breed like a Sharpay or a Basset Hound, it's really not the best test. So. Again, it's one of those things you need to get the pet used to your touch 
and you would want to come in here and lift the lip always on the side and feel the gums. If they're sloppy wet like hers, <laughs> she's well hydrated. Okay. But if they're dry or even sticky, you need to encourage them to drink. Okay. Because every system of the body needs water to, you know, function. Yeah. And it's really an important thing that you keep your pets well hydrated. That is really good to know. Thank you so much. My and pleasure. Tell us about your um, the, the Pet Safety Crusader. Tell us about your business and where people can find you and can they learn from you, take classes? I'd be delighted. Um, I'm actually kind of moving to the point where I'm training the trainer now. I'm trying to teach the next generation of pet first aid instructors, awesome. but I still do classes. I have recorded ones available on my um, website, but I do once a month do a live teleconference in these days where we're doing everything on Zoom rather than in person. But uh, it's just really important skills. If you belong to certain national organizations like professional pets, and others you can get continuing education units for taking the class so it helps with other certifications as well but um, all of this information is available at PetSafetyCrusader.com and I have first aid classes for dogs for cats for birds for rabbits and also some classes on pet disaster preparedness and caring for senior pets because that's kind of my specialty um, Princess Kiko here as I like to call her is kind of a triple threat um, and I mean that, unfortunately, in a bad way when she was at the shelter. She's a dark-coated pet, mm -hmm. and a lot of people steer away from the darker colored pets. Um, I don't know if they think they look scary, or it's kind of our tradition with the old westerns. The bad guy wears the black hat, yeah. and you know, <laughs> the good guy wears the white hat. Um, also, she's a powerful breed that not everybody is prepared to you know, handle. So that makes her a little bit more difficult. And then she's a senior. So those three things made her what some places would call unadoptable or harder to adopt. But it was love at first sight when my husband and I saw her and we feel blessed that she's part of our family. And there is a special place for people like you who rescue senior dogs. We did an interview with Jerome who has rat terriers and he rescued a senior dog that was a pupper, puppy mill survivor. Oh goodness. And just, you know, and I have a dear friend who She's like, where's the old dog? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take it. And uh, it's just so special because not a lot of people want the old dogs because they don't want, they don't, they're afraid of the commitment, you know, possible medical expenses, and they, they're afraid they're going to lose them. But how special is it to be able to give them a wonderful life in their golden years, so. It really is, and if I can just put in a, a, a shameless plug, but I am president of the Gray Muzzle Organization, and what our nonprofit does is we raise money and give it to shelters and rescues around the country to help with senior dog programs. And last year we gave out over a half of a million dollars. Wow. And it's true what you say, you know, people have these wrong, you know, conceptions about pets. You can have a puppy and there's no guarantee he's gonna make it to 12 or 15. Yep. You can have a senior dog who may have some problems or who may actually be healthy until she passes away in her sleep. And with a senior dog, you, what you see is what you get, is what I always say. They're already grown into their paw and their personality. They typically know their manners already. You may need to remind them of their, their manners from yeah. time to time, but it's just such a joy to have an older pet look adoringly at you and be happy.
happy to be content just looking adoringly at you. <laughs> exactly. And you know, they're probably not going to need as much of the rigorous exercise. And you know, like you said, the, the puppy stuff, I mean, Jerome even said that his senior rescue is much easier than it was raising his two from puppyhood. Oh, so. I believe that. <laughs> those midnight feedings, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., out to the door oh, to do their business. Chewing on everything inside. You can hold it very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, we definitely want everyone to check out the Gray Muzzle organization. What's the website again? It's Gray Muzzle, G-R-E-Y-M-U-Z-Z-L-E dot org. Awesome. And of course, your pet safety crusader. I think there's a lot of people that can benefit from that whether they're just a casual pet parent like me or like you said if they're uh, like a professional pet sitter I think that's a great great place and a great resource so thank you so much oh my pleasure like one student once told me a long time ago don't wish you had taken pet first aid I, I concur <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much my pleasure thank you those were some great tips. I hope you guys were taking notes. If you are listening to the podcast, I really urge you to go check out this video so you can see um, where she was talking about to do the chest compressions um, and then the, the rib compressions. Really, really valuable information. I, I think she is a wealth of knowledge and in this short video gave us some really good tips for, you know, uh, not just the emergency situations, but also the overall maintenance and knowing your dog. I think we really could have done better by the the nose to tail um, uh, sort of review of our dogs, you know, on a weekly or biweekly basis, just to make sure everything is a-okay, especially if you have a breed like we do that's very stoic and doesn't tell you if anything's wrong. You know, maybe there's something under that toenail that needs help or something yeah one of the things too that i took away from it is you know we talked she talked a lot about the dogs but she also mentioned something that really stuck with me and that was how we react in those emergency situations how we release adrenaline and we have to be able to think and and so if you've ever been pick up on it yeah if you've ever been in a situation that's an emergency situation your first fight or flight reaction is just to go oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You need to breathe through that, I guess. And I thought that point she made was very important. Uh, so when this happens, don't, it, it's easier said than done, but don't freak out. There's probably a technique. And I think, you know, you should check out her website and, and, uh, you know, obviously this video. Well, don't freak out because your your mind can't think as clearly. And Correct. I, know that's, from, I guess that's where I was going with that. Yeah, yeah I so. know from our experiences that, um, you know, I wasn't thinking clearly. And, you know, it just, you, you get into a panic, um, especially with the choking incident, not so much the chewing gum. But, yeah, so try to stay calm. That's a tough one. Yeah. When you see your dog in distress, that's really hard to do. But, it can help you and it can help your dog. Yeah, it's kind of like um, when you're on an airplane, they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your kids. There's a reason for that. It's so that you can stabilize your breath and, and get your get your mind under control so you can handle the situation. That was something that I took away from this interview that I was, you know, all the other stuff so super important, but I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a big problem in this situation <laughs> that i need to fix so i i really enjoy i enjoyed it and yeah you're right we could have 
gone on for eight hours talking to her about that. Yeah. Yeah. She just is a wealth of knowledge and really good tips. Uh, you know, the, 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 um, kind of like the checking their vitals was really important because I actually, we go to a vet that you, you see them do that. you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times they just do stuff and don't tell you, but we see a vet now that will, you know, they're, they're taking the, the pulse and they're checking the gums for hydration and things like that. Um, but I never knew that before until we started going to a vet that told me that's what they were doing. And so now, you know, oh, just swipe your finger across the gums to feel if, you know, it's slick and slimy, then, you know, they're getting enough water. So things like that are very important to know. So check in with your dog's vital stats, know their bodies, know what looks normal and what looks abnormal for them. And yeah, just some great stuff that hopefully the emergency stuff you never, ever, ever have to use, but at least you know the process. And when you are visiting your vet, don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask questions. Say, hey, what are you doing there? You know, why why are you doing this? Um, and, and then ask what's, what's good care. You know, how do I, how do I trim their nails? How do I, how do I make sure that their undercoat is taken care of? Things of this nature. Don't, don't feel like you can't ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. So, Knowledge is power. Absolutely. So we hope you guys really got something great out of this episode. If you learned something, please comment below what you learned. If there's anything else that you think we should know, please share that. And uh, we love getting your comments. We love hearing from you guys. So thank you so much for interacting with us. Give this video a like, subscribe to our channel, and click that notifications bell so that you get a reminder whenever we have a new episode. So uh, you can find us everywhere online at Dog Nerd Show. Dognerdshow at gmail.com is our email address. So if you would like to be interviewed about your breed or anything dog related, let us know. And you can find our website, dognerdshow, dognerdshow.com. Wow. Now that was a lot of breath. <laughs> I, I kind of took over all the duties just then. <laughs> there you go. But thank, until next time, guys, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.